You are listening to Jai Long and this is Make Your Break, episode 129. Hey, I'm talking with Siraj today. If you don't know who Siraj is, he is our full-time videographer along with Morgan as well and creates a lot of content for us, really helping us out with the summit, with social media, with Instagram, with YouTube, all the things that we do, all the content that we create because obviously I can't do everything myself. So I'm always making sure I'm looking for people to be in my corner to really help me out. Now, I always have really interesting conversations with Siraj and sometimes we just decide like, hey, let's actually jump on this and do a podcast episode. So we did exactly that. Siraj started off by asking me a few questions about my dad actually and a few of those backstories and then we dove in and decided to record these questions and these answers and really kind of pull a lot out of like what I have learned over my lifetime throughout stories from like when I was younger and and kind of what helped me on this path of self-development and of growth and of trying to take myself to another level and trying to break the rules and all that kind of stuff. So I think this episode is really, really interesting. It's probably a little bit less practical, a little bit more entertaining. There's some wild stories in there, as you could imagine. But yeah, I think you're going to really enjoy it. Now, don't forget the Wedding Photography Summit is coming up in just a few short weeks and the pre-sale is starting and I want you to get onto that wait list. Really, really important. But the Wedding Photography Summit is going to be incredible. It's, I think it's around 14 hours worth of content, 10 world-class speakers over two days. And guess what? It's only $7. Crazy thing is, it's $7. We have VIP for $47, which has 12-month replay. And then we have front row seats as well, which are going to sell out. But there is also a journal. So we actually created this journal, hardcover journal, specifically for this. It has a habit tracker. It's got goal setting. It's got motivational stuff in there. And we are actually posting those all over the world for no extra cost. And there's only a thousand of them. So if you do want one of those journals, you need to get on and get a ticket as soon as possible. Seriously, for $7, if you get a journal, I think it costs us about maybe $20 to post it worldwide. So the amount of value that you're getting is actually, actually insane. So I want you to get over there and get that. But not only that, like just being in the room with all the speakers, there's going to be a live chat. So you know, you can network, you can make friends, you can get the motivation that you need, some extra creativity, a couple extra strategies, like everyone's going to be sharing so much. So you must get onto the Wedding Photography Summit, which will be on the 23rd and 22nd of November. So I'm so excited and I can't wait to be on there, be live, get to know who you are, get into the chat box and yeah, have a good time. Tell me about your dad teaching you how to shoplift. Yeah, so dad taught me how to shoplift. It was a pretty interesting thing. I think when I was growing up, I didn't realize that like shoplifting was a bad thing because he would always shoplift. (laughs) Right? Yeah, no, serious. It's it's so funny. What he used to do, which is really, really funny, he used to go in and sometimes with my mum as well, and he would have like a big trench coat on. And then he actually got this, it was from like a thrift store. He got this this jacket that had all pockets on the inside. They put it on mum and she hated this. And then we'd go in and I'd go in with him and then I would have to like look down the aisles and just check, make sure no one's looking. And he used to fill it up to the brim. So his jacket and then mum's jacket, fill it up to the brim. 
And then he'd buy like one or two things thinking <laughs> no one can tell. And even I could tell what's going on. And you can see the cashier was like looking at him and he'd be, he'd be like sneaking through, buying a couple of things of gum, walking out <laughs> and we'd all be walking out <laughs> and then emptying out like all the stuff in the car. So your mum was wearing the trench coat? Dad was wearing a trench coat and then mum, I actually remember she found this, or dad found this jacket, but then got mum to sew extra pockets in it <laughs> <laughs> so we could get more bang for buck when we go oh, shopping. You know? Well, another funny thing about that story <laughs> is um, I actually, when I was 11 years old, so I, like because dad showed me how to shoplift and he, he would say, don't ever steal from people like small businesses or anything, like always from like the big supermarkets. Mm. It's like they don't notice, they put the price in there anyway. And he had this thing against like big corporations. Because I didn't know that it was wrong to steal, I used to go in every single time I would go into a, like a big supermarket just for the principal. I would make sure that I was like grabbing a whole bunch of stuff, you know, I'd go in with a bag or something. And then one day I was 11 years old and I remember I had like a magazine tucked down my pants. I had like all these lollies. And I think it was like my third trip that day, just walking in, walking out with a whole bunch of stuff. And then I was getting so like confident that I was never going to get caught because I never had I wouldn't even buy anything anymore. I'd just walk straight in, just fill up my, ba- <laughs> my bag in my pockets and walk straight back out. And um, so I was walking out one day and then the security guard like chased me down and then they grabbed me, pulled me back into the store and then they called the police. And the funny thing was, so the police officer's like, you're being caught, is this bad? And I'm like, no, it's not that bad. Mm. And he's like, oh, what, what are your parents going to say? And I'm like, oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> And then I remember that they rang up my mom and dad and then dad was like, oh, I'll come pick him up. And he's like, I can't believe he did this. And he drives in and then like in front of the police and stuff and he's like, um, the guy's like, oh, look, you know, he's only young. We're going to let him go or whatever. And dad's like, yeah, he really shouldn't be doing that. And then so we walk out the front and then dad's like, you idiot. Like you're not supposed to get caught. You got to buy something, you know? And he was like telling me how to do it. And he's like, don't tell your mom. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. Like don't tell your mom you just got caught or whatever. That's hilarious, man. So when that first story of the trench coat, how old were you when that? That was actually like a lot of years of my life, mm. all the way leading up to like 11 years old. So it's probably my whole childhood actually. So did that, that police altercation, did that teach you not yeah, to changed, do that? Yeah, I didn't actually. So when the police were talking to me, I didn't know, like he explained to me how Mm. it was the wrong thing to do and that there's consequences and I can be in trouble and I didn't realize. Mm. And so when he told me that, like I remember thinking, what? Like I don't want that to happen. And then something else happened that year. I think a bike of mine got stolen and I remember I felt so like shitty about that. And then it made me put two and two together. I was like, Mm. man, if you steal, it's from someone else. And so after I got caught, I never did it again. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. But dad did. <laughs> <laughs> You've got so many funny stories about your dad. Yeah. Can you tell me the milk one, please? <laughs> yeah. So my dad never had a job. And so he would always be looking around to find a job. I don't know why he was trying to find a job, but he'd be trying to find a job. And he got a job one day as the milkman. And I remember he was like so excited about it. And he's like, yeah, guys, like I'm, I'm the milkman, you know, the local milkman. So he left home that day and he went down and um, picked up the milk truck, filled it up with, with all the milk. And I'm talking like flavored milk, custard, you know, chocolate milk, all that kind of stuff. And um, from work, when he picked up the car, he drove straight to our neighborhood, straight to our <laughs> house. And then he, he opened it up and he yelled out, it's like, guys, milk's here. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone came out, like all the neighbors, like me, all my brothers and sisters were running out. And he was out there, you know, like, like a modern day Santa Claus, just like <laughs> handing out chocolate milk to everyone. And all the milk to everyone. And he's like, fill up the, you know, fill up the fridge. And it was like a little festival out there because everyone's grabbing as much as they can. And then later on that day, he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to go deliver the milk now. And he's like, we've emptied the milk truck, right? And he takes off. 
then that afternoon he comes back and I was like, dad, how's the day? How's the job? And he's like, oh, they fired me. He's like, I don't know why they fired me. And so I lost the job. So it's interesting. What was his take on jobs just in general? He hated jobs, man. Like mm. he just hated that fact that he had to rely on someone else to give him money. And he just felt like it was he wasn't on this world, like he wasn't on this earth long enough to be working for someone else. That was mm. his thing. Or to he's seen like jobs are just pointless. Like he mm. just could not fab and why someone would show up and do something for someone else for a long period of time, more than a day. <laughs> that was it. That the longest he ever held down a job, like just thinking back. Yeah, I don't know. He he worked in the service station once and that was really funny. And every time us kids would come around, he'd always be like turning the cameras. He'd be like, all right, go for it. And we'd walk around, grab as much stuff as we can and leave. And then I was like, I thought that was normal as well. And like, I was like, I wonder if dad would ever get in trouble. But of course he got fired from that job and every other job. <laughs> How long did he last at jobs? What's the longest that he stayed at, at a job? Um, hard one to remember. To be honest, I've never seen him at a job. So... Longest one was probably that service station one where he was there for a few weeks or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so interesting. So why did he even go for the jobs if he was, you know, against them? <laughs> was it just to... Well, because well, because mum and dad would always fight and, and then the problem was there was no money. And so then dad would short-term fix a girl like, oh, I'll go get a job. And then mm. he would go get a job on Monday, be fired by Tuesday. He would say how he tried, mm. didn't work mm. out. It's their fault, not his fault. Right, okay. And then, you know, a few weeks later, like rinse and repeat basically. Yeah, yeah. To lots of jobs. <laughs> you got more stories? About dad? Yeah, yeah. I think dad was just like a wild character. There's so many crazy stories with him. Like, you know, um, so he smoked a lot of weed and – um he used to think no one would notice, but he would like go out into the laundry and mum would be like, you can't smoke weed. He's like, oh, okay, I won't, I won't. And then he would like sneak out into the laundry and the whole house smells so bad. Mm. And then he'd walk back in and then we're like, we know you're still doing it. And he'd be thinking like he just, you know, pulled a blindy over every single person. But yeah, like, as, as, like when I first moved out of home, so I think I was 15, 16, it was a real weird situation because... Like I lived with a bunch of people and, the, and like everyone that I grew up with grew up with like rough neighborhoods and stuff like that. So a lot of us, we felt like there was no choice to move move out. So we moved out into this house and there was like five of us living in this three bedroom house and it was like a real kind of halfway home, a couple of broken kids with next door. It was like a duplex and next door was like the biggest drug dealer in town. So there was always tons of people. But the thing was like I went and got a job straight away and my dad didn't understand why I got a job. And um, I used to come home and he'd have like a big bong in my room and he'd be smoking billies with all my friends. <laughs> with, yeah, with my friends and stuff. <laughs> and I'd be like, dad, like, and I'd be shooing him out all the time. I'm like, get out of here. What are you doing? Yeah, he used to be like such a bad influence because, and then everyone's seen me, like <laughs> me as the uncool person and my dad was the cool person. And everyone's oh, like, right. when's your dad coming over? Because, oh, you know, wow. he'd be giving out drugs to all yeah, the other yeah. kids and stuff like Jeez. that. And he was definitely an interesting character. Mm. So Morgan just put this post-it note. It says, ask about his first car. Oh man! Whose first car, yours or or your dad's? So my first car. This this was actually a really funny story. So dad got this job working for a friend, and it was a removalist job. So he he was removing stuff some from Brisbane down to um, Sydney, and so dad always took me on all the jobs that he did. So he's like, "Got a job? Let's go." And um, he was like, I'll pay you a couple of hundred dollars. And I was like, a couple of hundred dollars? This is, I think I was about 15 or 16. Jeez. I was like, let's do this, you know. So I jump in the truck with him, came around, picked me up. And we did the big haul all the way down in a big truck and everything. And then when we got down, we were staying at one of his friend's houses. It was like this stoner guy. And um, there was a car in the front yard. And the car was like, I think it was like maybe $500 or something. And I was like, dad, 
like, are you still going to pay me a couple hundred dollars? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, that car is like 500 and, and if you give me 200 and it's his friend's car. And then his friend was like, if you give me 200, you can have the car. And I was like, can I get the money so I can buy this car? And dad was like, yeah, of course, let's do this. So he bought this car and it was this old Toyota thing that wasn't registered. It was like seven color, like shades of yellow. <laughs> Those cars, it was notorious for the seat to sort of fall out the bottom. So then you're sort of sitting on the floor and um, it was just a rough car. So I bought the car, but I was thinking dad was going to drive it home, right? Mm. And so dad was like, all right, what are you going to do with it now? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And he's like, well, you're going to have to drive it home. And so for those that don't know how far Sydney and Brisbane is, it's about a thousand kilometers. Wow. And so it's like a solid 10 hour drive, 11, 12 hour drive, right? So I had no license. I had no experience driving on, on the roads or anything. And dad was making this full plan. He's like, all right, we're in the middle of Sydney. And he's like, all right, so if you leave at midnight, and he's like, you just follow the signs because there's no GPS back then. He's like, and no maps. He's like, follow the signs that say <laughs> Brisbane everywhere. If you get lost, just keep driving until you follow a sign. And he's like, um, he's like, don't stop for anybody and then drive up. And when don't you get stop ho- for anybody. Yeah, he's like, when you get home, don't tell your mother. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Okay. <laughs> Was he not um, leading the way with the truck? Or? No, no, no. Me driving by myself. So You left separate times? Yeah, he was wow. staying in Sydney. Oh, wow. So that night, like, um, he woke me up. It was like midnight, man. And... Um, I remember I, I like I went out to the car. I, co- I literally, this is like sounds cliche, but I literally c- couldn't see over the steering wheel because wow. the seat was so far down. And I was a small kid, so I remember we put some like phone books underneath there, and I'm like holding it, and I'm starting. And Dad's like, "You know how to use the brakes?" I'm like, "Yeah, man." <laughs> He's waving me goodbye, and I remember I pulled out and I started driving down, and I went past a stadium where the Bulldogs that. It was like a Bulldogs game that just happened. So it was like a big football game. So there was police everywhere. There was people everywhere. The game sort of just finished. They were just sort of emptying it out. And I remember all this traffic. And I thought there was going to be no traffic. So I'm driving this manual Shit. car on a road, no license, look like a little kid. And I'm like trying to get around everyone. And I remember the police, because um, I went down this little road and they're sort of like showing people through to sort of disperse the traffic. And I'm driving through trying not to, you know, stall my car. And then... um. Yeah, that night I just followed the signs that said Brisbane, Brisbane. And then I had to pull over like three times to refuel the car. And um, I had like a little bit of cash that dad gave me, <laughs> just enough to get home. And then I think about 12 hours later, I like rolled into the front of my house, like mum's house. And mum was like, where did you just come from? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, um, just down the road. And he's like, well, she was like, well, you were in Sydney yesterday. And I was like, oh, yeah, Sydney. She's like, where's your father? Oh, he's in Sydney. Oh, no. How'd you get here? Um... I uh, drove and she's oh, no like, way. your father let you drive all the way up here. I was like, oh, it's not like that. It was my idea or whatever. So he got in like big trouble. But, you know, it was it was so funny. That's hilarious. It was like a grand final or something. Yeah, it was like a grand. <laughs> it was a big thing. I just drove for it. But that car, man, like so just talking about like um, going deeper on that car, it it was like a piece of shit. Mm. And so I went and got a job and then I needed a car and, and I needed a license, right? And so before I had the license, I had a job and I lied and I said I had a license so I could drive around. And I remember I was saving to get the car registered because I'll drive it unlicensed, unregistered to work and, mm. you know, and I'd park down the road so no one could see. But I remember and back then I was getting paid $5 an hour and um, I remember I was like, okay, registration and the work I've got to do is $2,000. And so I was like working so hard, putting away everything, just barely eating any food because I had to pay rent and everything. I was living out of home. And um, I finally got enough money for the registration and get my car going. And I was like, oh my God, I did it, right? $2,000. Now I'm broke, but I've got a car that's actually registered. 
And so that week I drove out and um, because it's such an old shitty car, it was raining and I went down the highway. I was doing about 100 kilometres, maybe a bit over, and um, the sway bar on the back of the car snapped while I was driving. So And it just spun the car out of control and I, wow. and I like spun out about eight times. I went through all these fences and just totally rode off the car. Just before I did that, actually, I drove out and the engine blew up because um, there was a leak in the radiator and I had to pay $1,100 to get a new head on the car, which was worth more than the whole car. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, like I just need to keep working, keep working. Like, oh, I, I can make this happen. So just had it registered. Then I put on the new head on the car. And I was stretched out. Like I was like literally borrowing money from friends and stuff. Then that week I crashed the car. And so I parked the car. Um, it was on the side of the road. I took off the plates. I left and I was like, fuck, man, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Like this is rock bottom for me because mm. I was like, I felt like my life savings was in this yeah, hunk of yeah. metal on the side of the road. Um, and I didn't want to lose my job. So I went around and seen one of my friends. And one of my friends was like, man, it's not like you to give up. Like you are the relentless one. Like why is the car still on the side of the road? Go get it. And I was like, you're right. Like, what am I doing? So I went and grabbed a sledgehammer and an axe, <laughs> went down to the uh, on the side of the road and like the car was fully buckled. It actually twisted. And so I got out the sledgehammer, straightened as much as I could, freed up the wheels. We had to like use the axe to cut off a couple of chunks of metal that was like sticking into the tire and stuff. And then you couldn't open up any of the doors. It's like one of the windows was smashed. So climbed through the window. A miracle, it started. And then I was like, well, it's fine. So then I started driving this twisted car to work and all my friends would jump in because I was the only one of a car. And I drove it like that for like maybe three months. And I even remember going past the police. Like this thing looked like it should have been written off, man. Yeah. It was proper, yeah. crumbled, right? <laughs> and I remember I'd be driving to work. Driving, I remember driving past the police once. There's like four of us in the car. And we were all like, you know, looking like pigeons turning their heads, you know, look, look, looking at them. And they never even pulled me up. And I think everyone just, just sort of felt sorry for me, to be mm. honest. And the fact that I would still just keep showing up with this car. Even my boss, he even seen it and he didn't even fire me. And I was like, oh. He's like, what's up with the car? And I was like, oh, someone doored me. Why would he, <laughs> why would he fire you? Well, the the premise of the job was if I didn't have a license, if I didn't have a car, then I didn't have a job because I had to used to drive out and pick up people food for lunch because I was kind of like the labourer of the, oh, right, of the okay. job site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when he told me that, he's like, do you have a license? Do you have a car? I was like, yeah, of course. I've got a car, I've got a license, mm. which I didn't yeah. have either of them. Yeah. So then when my car was all smashed up, I was like, well, it's hard to lie now because yeah. that thing's not going to last long. Far out. You're lucky it happened after it was registered, eh? Yeah. <laughs> and all that because that would have been – so the crash, no one came to the crash or whatever? It wasn't – No, because it was out in the country. Like we, we sort yeah, of just yeah. crashed and, um, yeah, no one said anything. The guy – like I crashed into someone's front yard and that guy chased me around for years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he was trying to get money for the fence, to oh, repay man. the fence and stuff. So yeah, yeah, he yeah. would follow me and he would like come – like when I'd pull up for, for petrol because my car was so recognisable, mm. he would literally come and, you know, corner me off in the, in the in petrol station and he would try and fight me. Wow. He was like a younger guy who would try and fight me. He was like, you know, you owe us hundreds of dollars, you smash yeah, yourself. Yeah. And I'd be trying to duck and weave and I'd be rolling on the ground, <laughs> jump back through the window on the car, taking off. Issues. Yeah, yeah. And that happened for, that happened for ages. <laughs> for ages. <laughs> I reckon if I went back to that town, that guy would still recognise me. <laughs> Do you still owe him money? Is that what? Yeah, definitely. Oh, wow. You never paid him back. <laughs> I think it's time to pay him back, Joy. Yeah, well, um, I think, what's that, 15, <laughs> yeah, 10 years ago, 15, 15 years ago. 10 years ago, you're like 23, <laughs> like an adult. Well, 20 years ago, yeah. Um, so you're from a small town, hey, like uh, just paint the picture. You mm. Does everyone know each other? Is that how it is? Like, yeah, man, everyone definitely knows each other and it's a pretty funny, tight-knit little 
community. So that means everyone knew you and also knew your dad. Yeah, everyone definitely knew my dad. Okay, so yeah, was, he's a character. So, for example, when you're at like the shops or whatever, and you're like stealing from the shop, do they know that? Oh, that's Jai or Jai Andrew. I would probably guess that a lot of people would know. Yeah, yeah, and just be forgiving. You think or? I think um, because people knew, like we were the poor family, definitely. Mm. So people definitely would probably be a little bit more lenient. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Were there other um, families like you? Yeah, there was a lot. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we grew up on a street that was like all housing commission and mm. it was it was considered at the time the roughest street in New South Wales. And so like the police were there all the time. It was only 14 houses. But outside of that street, mm. what's how big is the town? How big, how big are so we So there's talking? about 7,000 people in the whole broader town. Okay. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. So that car would have stood out. Oh, everyone knew who the car was owned. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. What's interesting is there's like a few things from what you're saying. I I feel like there's a few things. There's your dad's got this Robin Hood kind of mindset Mm. where it's okay to steal from big corporations, but not the small ones. Yeah. And at the same time, like he teaches, like he knows that stealing is wrong, right? Because Mm. he, he knew how to act in front of the police. But at the same time, he would still do it and justify it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like he was a he was a real life Robin Hood because even for us, like and Mum used to hate it. Like if he if anyone needed help, he would give it them everything, even mm. if we had no money. If we like, for instance, and Mum used to hate it. I remember we had a friend come around and they were just like complaining they didn't have a washing machine and dryer and Dad. Like we did have one, so Dad's ripping it out and putting it in their car. And then Mum comes home, she's like, "Where's the washing machine?" And Dad's like, "Oh, we have to do it in the bathtub now." Like mm. I gave it away, and Mum would be freaking out because we saved for so long to get it and all that kind of stuff. But that was happening all the time. Yeah, and yeah. he'd work for everyone for free, mm. always helping people out because he was a mechanic. It was all, everyone would line up their cars. They knew that they would get free if they were yeah, friends yeah. with him. Then, yeah, yeah, they knew they could get him to work. Mm, that's so interesting, man. That he he was so giving. Yeah, do you know what I mean? But didn't have um, much at all. Do you reckon that uh, that savviness? Because it sounds like he taught you. Saviness, like a 10-year-old in the, in the truck with him mm. going into state or 15-year-old, sorry, going into state and then driving back. He's sort of teaching you stuff like how to deal with real life but mm. in a savvy sort of maybe yeah. a bit illegal. <laughs> I, I think it's really interesting. Like I'm definitely street smart because of him but he smart, um, yeah. he kind of acted like a kid but he would treat me like an adult always. So even mm. when I was young, I never remember being treated like a kid ever. Mm. Like I remember anything that I did was always my fault, take responsibility of that. Like it was never like lenient that I was a kid. And so I grew up so fast because of that. Like I did so many things when I was young that like other kids would never do and I grew up so fast. Like even just like small things. Like I went to Norway by myself when I was 11 years old, back when you could just put a kid on a plane. (laughs) And I flew myself over there with a whole bunch of stops and had to get myself to other planes and stuff like that. Wow. And I remember sitting in the front with the pilot and all that kind of stuff. But You sat in the front of the pilot? Yeah, you could do that back then, you know. And I don't know why (laughs) you could just sit a kid on the plane because I remember I was like, oh, sweet, 11 years old, dude, you know, cruising off. You mean you were flying in the cockpit? The yeah, whole time? I got to, yeah, yeah, oh, because yeah. they, um, oh, the air hostess would come over and go, oh, we oh, heard you yeah, flying yeah, alone. Yeah. You know, the captain wants what to meet you. What are you doing you. in Norway, man? <laughs> well, my um, grandparents lived there, so they actually oh, right, paid okay. for me. And then they were like, we'd love to see one of our grandsons, so mm. we're going to pay for you. And then <laughs> all of a sudden <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I yeah, can't yeah. believe this. Like, Wow. What, what are they doing in Norway? They've um, lived there. My grandfather, um, he's got a crazy story, but he he um, jumped onto a, He snuck onto a Navy ship when he was 11 years old and snuck into Nor- into New Zealand. Then he got um, caught and deported and sent back and then he got straight back on the next ship that went to Australia and 
Yeah, he came here when he was like real young and then just started a life. And then when he got older, he moved back to Norway. He did this when he was 11. No, he was 15 when, oh, he, 15. when he fled the country. Yeah. Uh, what made him do that? Is it an adventure? Literally. Wow. He just, he hated his mom and he was just like, he wanted something else. He wanted to get out. And um, I think his mom was like abusive. Yeah. So he went down Far to the docks out, and man. he was like literally sneaking on with the food and He's got an unpublished book that I should publish, but he's written all these adventures. It's crazy. Dude, you should 100%. Yeah. That is amazing. Is he, um, did you spend a lot of time with him or? Yeah, a little bit. I've been back to Norway quite a few times and he's an amazing guy and he reminds me of me so much. Yeah, yeah. So That's I remind sounds- myself of him. Like he's, dude, he's a famous artist. He used to run workshops. That's how he paid for everything. Wow. And he'd run it in his studio, like in Sydney. Then he like moved it to Norway and then it got bigger and bigger and he ran the biggest painting workshops. And <laughs> like, <laughs> I had no idea of his whole life, right? And then when I went there and he showed me like the timeline and the things he used to do and the big events he'd run and he'd bring politicians in and they would be huge all in the papers and stuff. And I'd look at this stuff. I'm like, man, this is weirdly enough kind of what I do right now. Mm. And, you know, Very it wasn't strange. on purpose at all. Yeah. Is he around still? It's so, so, it's so weird. No, um, yeah, he, he died last year, which sucks because it was during the pandemic. So couldn't even go over and see mm. him. Yeah. Oh, wow. Last year. So you would have, so you, you got to speak to him in a time where you could speak to Norway easily, right? Like, yeah. you know, 20 years ago, you couldn't, you had to make house calls and yeah, get totally. those cards from the milk bar or whatever. Mm. But so you could speak to him like on WhatsApp or. Yeah, yeah, I could chat to him. That's amazing. Yeah. And um, your grandma? Um, so my grandma lives in Australia um, oh, yeah. and she's pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's a wild lady. It's the bloodline of just adventurous, yeah, wild. She, yeah. yeah, she's hard to talk about yeah, because, yeah. because um, to put it in perspective, like my grandfather was like, a, he was like a crazy artist that was like well-known and, and did all these amazing things. But my grandma, she she grew up in Housing Commission in Sydney mm. and um, very different and I think she like they I think they got they were only married for like a few years and mm. I think it was like for a visa sort of thing I'm not too sure like but yeah they're very different and I never really get along with my grandma to be yeah, honest yeah. yeah what kind of art was he making yeah, he paints man he's got like paintings in like the opera house and Dude, all buildings all around America and stuff like that's incredible so he's yeah. like up there he's yeah, not yeah, he sells some... them for like tons of money like gee yeah like proper people collect his stuff mm. yeah it's interesting that when you were 15 you went on that that adventure. Mm. And when he was 15, he went on a similar. Yeah, or, he was leaving much, as well. You know, I know, a, it was bigger, real similar. Uh, adventure. So I, I wonder if there's more like things that are similar, more parallels between you and your grandfather. Are there actually? You I know? think there is, man. Like he's, like I look up to him so much. Like I think if there's any man that I look up to in the world, it'll be him because the way that he interacted with people, made people feel, the way, the things that he valued, how mm. giving he was. Um, there was just so many things that I was like, oh my God, like this guy is like the perfect role model. And so, is, is he your dad's dad? My mum's dad. Oh, your yeah. mum's dad. Okay. Yeah. That is very interesting. Mm, like he was the guy that like, um, he was super fit, even like when he was, you know, much older, he would always grow like some his, his own food when he could. Every single time I seen him or every single day, he told his wife how much he loved her and stuff and how beautiful she is. And like just seeing him even at the, you know, the last the last years of his life still doing that every single day mm. and her sort of being over it like, all right, you always say that. Uh, but him like, 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 I mean it. And like mm. he was just such a beautiful person. Like I went to visit him with Lilu and Lilu played him a song on the piano and he was just sitting there just crying because he mm. couldn't believe how beautiful it was and someone would do that for him. And like that's he was an, just amazing. Like that yeah. type of guy. Yeah. That's a great memory to have. Mm. 
it's like something that you'd want to record, but it's better not recorded. Hey, totally. It's yeah. something that you have recorded with your heart in a way, you know? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so that's interesting. So your mum would have grown up with her mum yeah. in Sydney, or yeah, in New South and, Wales. Not, and not her dad. Okay, wow, yeah, that makes a lot of yeah. that makes a lot of sense. So she had like a single mum, and my mum was like, um, she had to look after all the brothers and sisters, even though she was the youngest, mm. and um, all she had a rough upbringing because yeah, yeah. like when I was born, I think my mum was about twenty one, and. She, so her sister was going through rehab, actually just went to jail and then just got out of jail and then came over to my mom's house, uh, I think to meet me and all that kind of stuff. And I think my mom and her partner at the time, which is like my real dad, they kind of kicked her out because she wasn't allowed to be around there at that time from that far from prison and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so she went on and she actually died of a drug overdose that night. And so I think my mum kind of held that on for like so long. And then my mum's brother also died of a drug overdose. So there was kind of like a lot of – my mum's like the only child here in Australia now. So she's she's gone through a lot, dude, a lot. And then to have like a character like your father, it's adding on to it, isn't it? Mm. But it's also – because he, he seems like for, for the stories that you tell me, he seems funny. Yeah, he was funny. Like everyone loved him. It was funny. Like every, everyone loved him. <laughs> he had a, a character. Was he charismatic? Is that- yeah. Like he, he could talk to anyone. He could talk to anything, anyone, anytime. So very friendly. Very friendly. Very resourceful. He knew the streets. He knew how to get what he wanted. He mm. knew how to run life basically. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting that he taught you all these valuable things that you've now used to kind of- Totally. To build your life. Mm. But- like the result is different? Yeah, very different. What do you think stopped him? Because he had the information mm. and he had the, you know, when he's telling you, for example, that, you know, you should take ownership and that you should be resourceful, you should find a way out and you should bend the law a little, little bit for you to get what you need. Mm. Because, look, you're 15, 16, yeah, and I know it's illegal, but you should be able to drive a car yeah. because you're at that age where you you should be able to know, you know you should know how to drive a car i know 11 year olds that know how to drive cars that live on farms and stuff totally so um you're capable and it's like so yeah he's bending teaching you how to bend the law or whatever but or break it just blatantly yeah. break it yeah he definitely didn't ever follow any rules and he never wanted me to follow any rules mm. either because he'd be like who made up the rules Which is, i think is a is a good thing in yeah, a way yeah i think so cuz how would you say that that applies to business the business world I think the reason why we are so worlds apart isn't because of all the things that he taught me, but it's because we both are, have addictive personalities. And I think he was addicted to drugs and maybe to the drama. Like, I don't know, like he was, he was kind of stuck in that world. And especially at the end, like before he died of a drug overdose, he was like very much stuck in a situation he didn't want to be in. And I'm, I have an addictive personality, big time. And so I get obsessed over things. So I make sure that I drive it into things that are helping me. So I think about like when I'm addicted, I'm like, man, I need to be addicted to work or to making an impact or to helping people or something because I know that I get obsessed and then I can't not be obsessed. So it's just sort of like I think I've been able to sort of harness that energy and put it in the right place. And I reckon that's why because if he he could do anything he put his mind to, like there was no doubt in my mind, not just because he was my dad, but like he was. Um, You've seen that happen. I've seen him do the like things that he does, you know, like. I don't know, like, I, like for any, for instance, like for anyone to live with like four or five kids and a wife and have no job and make things work, yeah, like you have to have some sort of smarts about you, I think, mm. and um, yeah, like 
he'd make the impossible possible all the time. Like even like think about it. Like even he'd all it, like everything was everything was amazing around him. Mm. So for instance, like dad went to get a job. It's like that's cool. But then he went down and got the milk. Then he brought it back and then he gave it to everyone. Like dad's cool, you know. So it was always <laughs> like, wow, like and it was always like that yeah. around him. Like always with everyone. It was always like he'd put everyone else first, everything else first, never a job mm. first, never a career, never anything else first you know that story is grand like when i picture that story it's like a it's like the the hero coming to the area and, and bringing the milk and, and yeah, totally. you know giving it to everyone and i imagine it like this big figure with this light shining from a certain <laughs> angle. So i imagine it like that mm. but i know that from the stories that you've told me where you actually grew up that you grew up in a rough street the mm. roughest street so it's like a, a very ghetto santa claus or a, a ghetto oh, totally. hero you know yeah I, I love that man i reckon there should be so much done for that i think like in um, neighborhoods like that that little bit of kindness and happiness that that comes like it spreads so much more than somewhere else Mm. like like if you're handing out to families that can't afford milk it's different to like bringing it somewhere else and then it's like you're ripping off the corporation because that's how dad's seen it he's just like look man we got lifetime supply of milk right here like why wouldn't i do this you know like (laughs) you know what in that story when i was picturing it i'm wondering how he got the attention of all the neighbors yeah, he just pulled up in the middle of the street, parked it, <laughs> and then just yelled out to everyone, opened up all the sides of the doors, Jeez. and then as all the kids run out, because they always did back yeah, then, yeah. you know, you'd be running out and he'd just be hoiking chalky milks to people yeah, yeah. and, you know, just whatever. Oh, that's beautiful, man. Yeah. <laughs> What's that other story? You, you mentioned that, that he got that job for, the, for the, at Woolies? Oh, yeah. So he finally <laughs> he landed this job, and I think he was actually really stoked about this job, but mm. for some reason... Um, every time he got a job, I had to go with him and I, and I was like part of the package. So um, he got this job <laughs> and then he was like, all right, Jai, you're not going to school tomorrow. Like put on your workwear, let's go. How old are you? I got to be like, I was actually, I was probably a bit older. I was probably like 12 hmm. and I'm like, oh, sweet, going to work, you know. So dad rolls in, he's never met anyone there and I'm yeah. on there with him <laughs> and the boss straight away is like, oh, why have you got your kid here? <laughs> And dad's just like, oh, mate, you, can, you can't hire one of us and not have both of us. Like, that's just how it is. Like and he got fired, right? For that or? Yeah, for that. Like, oh, it's right. just like, well, this, that's not how it works. We yeah, can't have yeah, kids yeah. on site, you know, yeah, like yeah. In, in these trucks and stuff. And actually, here's a funny, funny story. He didn't get fired there and then. I actually jumped in the truck with him. But what's really funny is this is a semi-trailer with 16, oh, was it 16 gears? I think it was 16 gears or maybe like 32 gears or something. And this thing's a big Woolworths truck. And I remember I jumped in the truck with him and dad was like, this is cool. And he's like reversing out and we got him out on the road and he's like, you want to drive? And I was like, <laughs> do you reckon I could try it? And he's like, yeah, it's so much on. fun. Yeah. And so he's like, yeah, let's do it. So he pulls over on the side of the road. I jump in and I'm fucking driving this semi trailer and I'm like trying to work out the gears. There's so many gears and, and like clutches and stuff. So I'm like, you know, gear one, gear two, gear three, gear four gear five, gear six. And he's like talking me through the whole process. And he got fired because it took him like five hours to get to a place that took an hour because he was teaching me how to drive yeah, the damn yeah. truck. <laughs> I love that he puts that on the line, you know, to teach you <laughs> yeah. to teach you that. Thing. Do, you, do you know how to drive trucks now? Or I reckon I could get in and start one and I reckon <laughs> I could make it work. I find it interesting that you were 12 and knew what gears were. Like I didn't know what gears were until I was, what, 17, 18, until I was sat in a manual car mm. and like trying to work it out. Man, like what dad would always have us like sitting on his lap when I was a kid and he'd be driving and he'd be getting me to change the gears and stuff like that. So, Can I ask you something? When you when he was teaching you something, how did he talk to you? Uh, it was always like really exciting, but he would always talk me through it so then I would understand it really easy. But what was his tone like? Was it 
is always happy, way aggressive. too calm. Yeah, no, it was wow. really, really calm. Like he'd just be like, like this, like this. Like you would stall it and he'd just be like, all right, now you know what to do. Put it back in the neutral and stuff. And there's all cars behind me beeping and stuff like that. And he's just like, oh, they can wait. You know, don't worry about them. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and was that was he like that all the time? Uh, no, not all so the time, like, sorry, but whenever he was teaching you? Whenever he was teaching me and stuff. But he was, obviously had an aggressive side as well because mm. there was a lot of domestic violence and stuff. But that came down to like he was so addicted to drugs mm. and when the money ran out and there was no money, then the drugs would run out. And when mm. the drugs ran out, that's when shit hit the fan. And yeah. then you knew what was going to go down. Like you'd go to bed and you know, like I look over at dad's stash of drugs and I'm like, oh shit, it's all gone. So you know what kind of night you're going to be in for. Mm, sort of okay. it's, um, it's very polarizing, eh, from one totally. to the other. Definitely. The question I, I really wanted to ask, and I'm, I'm so interested in this question, and I ask a lot of people, especially people that uh, are under abusive cycles, mm. when did you realize that your upbringing wasn't normal? Mm. It was actually in primary school when I first, like I first went to school in like year three. So I was like pretty old compared to, like, as you know, I didn't start in kindergarten. That's when I realized because when I went to school, I noticed all the other kids had uniforms and they all talked about stories of their dad and, and things they're doing on the weekend and stuff. And then I realized I was like, oh man, we, we lived in a tent when I did that, right? So when I went to school, I lived in a tent. And so like one, one of the vivid story for me is um, I remember like dad was like, um, he'd give me his clothes to wear. And you could imagine how small I was. I was, you know, three foot tall, just tiny little kid. So he'd give me his jeans and stuff, wrap rope around me to tie them on. And then I'd go into school. And then I remember we were doing school portraits the next day. And I remember the headmaster kind of stopped me as I was walking to school. And he's like, tomorrow, Jai, we're having portraits. Like the photographer's coming in. You cannot be dressed like this. Like stop taking the piss sort of thing. And he really sort of drove it into me. And I remember that afternoon, I was like, oh my God, okay. So um, I went home and I was like, dad, I need some money. Got to get a uniform, got to be in trouble and stuff. And he's like, we don't have anything. Like, you know, have a look at my wardrobe, like get mm. whatever. So the next day it was even worse clothes, like real baggy. <laughs> and I walk in, the headmaster, man, he just in front of everyone just embarrassed me so hard because he was saying like I was being a joker and I was like, you know, taking the piece doing basically. It on purpose. Doing it on purpose. Yeah, yeah. And I remember I was like so embarrassed and I was like, man, I, I don't know what to do here. But I also remember like it's my own fault. Like I need to be able to make this happen. So I had another friend that I grew up with and he was he was always a joker, but he always he was real street smart and he was hung out in my street a lot. But he was like, let's get it, let's get us some new uniforms. And so um we went and did these school portraits. And then straight after we knew that in his office is where all the school uniforms were. And we also knew that he came out for assembly to to talk some stuff. And we also knew that there was like a lady that was in the front office, right? So after all this, the assembly was on, we snuck around the back. We went up to where the office is and there was a window. We crawled underneath the window. We like snuck past her room and then down the hall, we crawled down the hall and then into his office, closed the door. And then we tried on all these different uniforms <laughs> and we grabbed some extra ones for our friends as well that like couldn't afford uniforms, got a sports uniform, everything. And these things were expensive. I remember mm. back in those days, I was like, oh my God, we're like we're rich. Look at yeah, these uniforms, yeah. right? Then we snuck back out and everything. And then the next day, walk on, we got a brand new uniform and the headmaster's looking at me and then he's looking at all my friends and we all got brand new uniforms because we never had that. He's like, where did you guys get those? I was like, what are you talking about? Like we bought these ages ago. And he's like, what? And he's looking at us and he's like, oh, I can't prove it, but I know you guys <laughs> stole it. I was like, we'd never steal, man. And then I was like, <clears throat> I was like, oh, I think I said, I got mine from that lost and found. And he's like, nah. He's like, these are brand new. And I'm like, no, nah, they're not. And they were brand new. And yeah. so for the rest of the year, we had like the most schmickest uniforms because we grabbed <laughs> so many of them. 
Uh, so, so you collected more. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we, we had enough. We were like, grabbing as many as we could. Oh, and then we handed them out to all of our friends and everything. And, That's hilarious. Yeah. And then I remember that afternoon I, um, I went home and I was like, dad was like, whoa, you got a new uniform. And I was like, yeah, I got a new uniform. And he's like, proud of your son. <laughs> <laughs> he, knew, like, he knew without asking. Yeah. He just knew that I made it happen. He didn't yeah, have to yeah. ask. He's like, That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Like, go make it happen. Don't ask me. Jeez. Yeah. Far out. There's so much to learn from that. Hey, <laughs> is it what you're supposed to do? I guess it is, but not stealing, obviously. But not it, stealing. But I think um, making it happen. It was like solving a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and and like if things are out of your control, like if you're getting pressure from from the boss or like from the headmaster, and then and then like your parents are not going to help you at all. And then it's like, well, you're the only person that's going to help you. No friends are going to help you. So. I think with that same thing, I've done that throughout my whole life. Like not stealing stuff, but I've known <laughs> that no one's going to help me. Yeah. You know, so there's not one person in any room ever that's going to help me get the success that I want. And so then I always take it on as my responsibility that I need to make it happen. And I think that's really important to have. I really think that you could have a TV show about you, like how Chris Rock has one about him. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that upbringing, just bloody every episode, different stories and stuff. <laughs> yeah, That'd be a lot so of funny, funny stories, man. man. Be so good. What do you think your dad taught you in t- uh, that you're applying now? So we have we've touched on it mm. throughout this conversation, but what, like, say three things would you say that? Yep, yeah, definitely from my dad. He definitely taught that, me that to, you. Sorry, that you currently like yeah, a- apply. Yeah. yeah, he taught me to um, be shamelessly yourself because he didn't care about anyone. Mm. You know what they thought of him, and um, I really admired that. Like, I thought that was really courageous. Like. You know, showing up, like not many people want to show up as themselves because like, for instance, like if, if you're like him and he's homeless or he's got no job and stuff, like most people are ashamed of that kind of stuff, but he's like owning it. Like, hey man, you're the one that's got a job, not me. Like that's how you would see it, you know? You're the one that's struggling. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, what did you do all week? It's like, I was spending it with my kids. What were you doing? You know, you wow. made some money, but we both have a house, you yeah, know? So, yeah. so I don't see how you're winning over me sort of thing. So that was his right, mindset. Man. But just him being like shamelessly himself, I think that was really cool. And I, and I feel like I try to yeah. do that as much as I can yeah. in my life. Resourcefulness. Like he could always he could always find a way to make it happen. It was never impossible down to anything. Like if he was a mechanic and he'd be working on someone's car, he would invent tools or he would make a tool out of something or he would invent a new way to do something or he would make something happen. And I just remember like, man, there was never a time. Like for instance, he was good at cooking, but there was never any food. So my mom, she would – go out shopping because she would read a recipe and she would make the most amazing meal. But it would be like a lasagna to the recipe from the book. And so my dad, he was the guy that would walk in when the lasagna is finished and there's no more food left and he would make food out of the nothing. So he'd be like, oh, I just grabbed a pumpkin from the backyard and I just put these spices together and I made something and it would always be the most amazing meal. So he never had instructions or, or never knew, like there was, no one ever had to give him anything, but he would always make something amazing from nothing. I think that's incredible. And then the last thing was like breaking the rules, man. Like not allowing someone else to put rules on you, you know, especially if they don't apply to you and they're not in your world. And we do this over and over with business. We do this in our life in so many different ways where we we follow this guideline, these rules, like the rules of thirds, for instance, as a photographer. It's like, who the fuck made this rule? You know, why do I have to do this? And I remember the first time um, that I took a photo. Hey, if you want to know a funny story, when I started photography, I wanted to win this scholarship into a, like a college to do photography, right? 
And so I went and did this three-day course with a bunch of other people and whoever made the best photo at the end got a two-year scholarship. And I was like, oh, my God, I can do this. This is when I started photography. So I went in there. How old were you? Sorry. Just- uh, this was um, – this is actually much – this was like when I was a bit younger, but this I was probably in my 20s, like early, early 20s. Yeah, I was actually. I think I was 20. I think I just went bankrupt for my thing and something like that. So everyone, they taught everyone in the class what exactly what to do. And they're like, here's the rules of thirds. Here's the rules of lighting. Here's the rules of this. And so they went through everything. They're like, okay, now whoever takes the best photo, you've got three days ago, take the best photo. Uh, and then we're going to display it and everyone's going to vote on it. Anyway, so I was sitting there and I was like, okay, so if everyone's following these rules, the easy way to stand out and to win this competition is by not following any of those rules. Like if I break the rules, then I'm going to have something different. So I already knew that like the 29 other people were following these guidelines and I knew if I was the one person, I could just do it different. So I went out and I purposely did it completely different. It was so creative. And then they had all the parents come through and all their friends come through to vote. Mine won, then got disqualified because it didn't follow the rules. And so everyone was like, oh man. So when they announced the winner who won the college degree, like everyone was disappointed because they're like, oh, well, that photo didn't win. And then they're like, yeah, we can't include that photo because we taught him all the rules in, in two days and he disregarded every rule. Like, so it doesn't make a good photo. And I'm looking at it, but I'm like, but this is the only good photo because all the rest of them look exactly the same. And they did. It was just like rules of thirds, put someone in there. It's the same kind of lighting situation. And I was like, how is this, how is this art? How is this creative, right? But I still apply that to myself all the time. Like if I'm sitting in a room and I'm like, everyone's reading the same book, so I need to read a different book or I need to show up differently or if everyone's charging this amount or if everyone's doing it this way, then I need to do it differently. That is incredible, man. And then you went on to be like one of the most well-known wedding photographers (laughs) in the world. (laughs) By breaking all the rules. Like I just do it my own way, yeah. And even when I started out in wedding photography, I would shoot stuff because I wasn't that great, but it would be like person, subject in the middle of the frame and everyone would be like, man, you don't know rules of third. You don't know photography. You don't know this. And I'm like, no, you don't know photography, <laughs> right? You know rules, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, but you don't know photography because you don't know how it makes someone feel or how it should evoke an emotion. Yeah. Mine, mine's evoking something in you to interact with me, to tell me it's not right, where yours is not even worth looking at. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> like, you know, you mentioned now three things. So you mentioned breaking the rules, being resourceful, and the first one was... Um, Shamelessly being yourself. Yeah, being yourself. Mm. You know what's interesting from what you said? All of those qualities and everything that he taught you was like crushing limiting beliefs as well. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah, it was like the liberation of like being in line, isn't it? Because if you shamelessly being yourself, you're not going to care about other people. You're not caring about other people's opinions. You're not caring about that really. What's the other one? Being resourceful, um, I'm, I'm getting breaking from, rules. Uh, breaking rules as well. You're, 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 yeah. You have to, to to break limiting beliefs. You have to break rules. Does that make and sense? And to break like rules, a- you have to have um, a certain amount of confidence in you as well, because you got to be confident. Like for instance, yes. when I'm doing the opposite to twenty, if the twenty nine people are following the rules of photography and I'm the one person not, mm. there's a few things there. You're going against human nature because I'm I'm striving to stand out while everyone's trying to stay yeah. in, like. Everyone's trying to fit in. I'm trying to stand out. The other thing is everyone's trying to get validation from the teacher where I was mm. trying to show them something different. Yeah. So you have to have a certain amount of confidence in you to go, hey, I know what you're saying here, but check this out. Mm. I'm going to show up like myself and I'm going to do it my way and have my own voice and my own saying, my own yeah. message. And, and rules are limiting beliefs in a way. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Who's making these rules? Yeah, hey? yeah. Like- <laughs> you know what's interesting as well, as well is 
I remember when you, like say, for example, you get a chair, you get a bike, you get a whatever. I noticed that you don't read the manual. Yeah. Do you, is that from your dad? Yeah. Like I think um, it's also because my, my mind works that way. Mm. You know, so if I was doing an exam, like I would probably, like a written exam, I'd probably have to read the manual because I just don't understand that kind of, I don't have an IQ like that. Like I've got a lot of EQ, but not a lot of IQ. So then, but making something with my hands, I'm like, man, I know how things fit together, you know, and I know the process that it works. Like I've like been an electrician, building cars, building houses, building like so many things. Like when I was a kid, it was like Meccano, it was Lego, all those things. Like it's second nature for me to piece something together. Yeah. I wish you were at my house yesterday, man. <laughs> I was struggling over a bloody bench with like three parts. <laughs> Dude, one of the coolest things that my dad taught me actually he bought me a car when I was about 14. Uh, it was just like to, to drive around in the paddocks and stuff. Mm. And um, it needed a new head gasket. And my dad said, if you can pull apart that car to nuts and bolts, lay it all out, and then we'll replace the part together. And if you can put it all back together and make it run, he's like, you're going to be able to do so many things in life. And I remember I was like, okay. And so like, there's no instructions back then. There's no Google. Um, this is an old 1920s Morris Minor it was from the UK. And I stripped this whole engine down to every single piece and I was labeling every single piece and stuff. But I had to understand how it all works, how combustion works, how like air intake, you know, everything basically. The carburetor pulled it all apart. Then once we pulled it all apart, we seen the part that was wrong and dad helped me replace it. We bought a new part. Then he's like, put it all back together. So then I had to put the whole thing back together. And I remember he came out in the backyard. I was like, dad, it's all back together. And he's like, have you started it? I'm like, nah. So we put some fuel in it, you know, we primed it up and everything, made sure there's oil in it, new oil filter and stuff. And I remember like dad jumped in there and started it and then it was going. And he was like, oh, geez, I didn't think you could do it. And I remember I was probably like 13 or 14. And mm. I remember that was one of my biggest achievements back then. Mm. Like while everyone was at school, you know, doing these things, I was like, guess what I did? And kids didn't even believe me. Yeah, Because they would be like, story, what? Yeah. How did, you didn't do that. Stop lying. And I'd be like, no, I did. Like I literally... Every nut and bolt, like the whole thing, mm. you know, it's got in within like, I think it was like two weeks. Wow. You know? So yeah, like he taught me things like that. So it's um, instructions to me is just like, I'm looking at something. I'm like, what's this? Like, I, yeah, I don't need that. I reckon it's a really good way to end this. That, that With that story, it's beautiful. We'll leave it there. I reckon. Done. Thanks for that? letting me share some stories. 